So Proverbs chapter 3, and uh, we're only going to be reading the first 10 verses uh, tonight. Um, So Proverbs chapter 3, starting in verse 1, uh, this is what God's word says. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Let not, or let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. And trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. And be not wise in your own eyes. But fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. This is God's word. Father, we thank you for this passage. Lord, we pray that you uh, would show us how it applies to our lives. We pray that you would show us how to apply the teachings of wisdom into the, the various situations of life, in the, the moments uh, that seemingly maybe aren't that big of a deal. But Lord, we need you to teach us how to be wise in every moment of our lives. And so we just ask that you would help us, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, famous I Have a Dream speech, there's a a line in there where he he says this. He says, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. They will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And so what Martin Luther King Jr. is saying there is he hopes that America will one day be the kind of place where we as individuals who make up this nation, we won't look merely at externals and make judgments about a person based upon their appearance, but rather we will look (coughs) internally We'll look at the heart and look at the uh, pattern of life that results from the condition of their heart. And similarly, in tonight's passage, uh, Solomon tells his son uh, about the type of character that someone who applies the teachings of wisdom will have. He tells his son that if he will remember and keep the commandments of his father in his heart, then he will be someone with good character. And so there's actually kind of this, uh, this organic relationship between Proverbs chapter 2 and Proverbs chapter 3 in that this beginning part of chapter 3 exemplifies or, or kind of uh, holds forth to us the kind of individual who has applied the teachings of wisdom that we encountered in chapter 2. So, in other words, these first 10 verses are what your life will look like 
when you are applying the teachings of wisdom. And so our main theme for tonight, what we're talking about is, is this, is that remembering the commands of wisdom results in changed character. Remembering the commands of wisdom results in changed character. And this passage, what it does for us is it gives us three specific character traits that mark the life of someone who has been transformed by the teachings of wisdom. Now, we said last week and the week before that living wisely, if we were to give a, just a brief definition, to live wisely is to live in accordance with God's will as taught in God's word. Because God in himself is the standard of wisdom, and so to live wisely is to seek to live in accordance with God's will, okay? And that's really the, the kind of character that, that uh, Solomon is trying to see produced in the life of his son. And so there's three specific character traits that we can pull out of this passage, though, uh, that are, are typical of someone who is applying the teachings of wisdom, of someone who is transformed by the teaching of the word of God. Okay? The first is that someone who has listened to the commands, or as verse 1 says, um, someone who is uh, keeping the commandments of wisdom in their heart and guarding them, that's what that word there means, will be marked first by faithfulness. Okay? Faithfulness. Second, they'll be marked by God-centeredness. God-centeredness. And lastly, they will be marked by humbleness. So faithfulness, God-centeredness, and humbleness. These are the three character traits of someone who is being transformed by the teachings of wisdom found in the word of God. But uh, let's look at verse 3 for just a minute, and we'll talk about this character trait of faithfulness. Look at verse 3, where he says, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you, but bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. And so the first thing that Solomon does here is he explains that this first character trait uh, describes someone who uh, is marked by a kind of faithful, unconditional love, by a type of faithful, unconditional love And it's the same kind of faithful, unconditional love that God shows for his people. And the interesting thing here is this phrase, uh, steadfast love, is actually really difficult to translate uh, from Hebrew into English because um, there's so much that goes into it. But it's the Hebrew word, I'm probably not going to pronounce it right, but chesed. And it's, it's the word that describes God's covenant love for his people. In other words, it's God's never-ending, always faithful love that he displays toward his people that he is in covenant with. And he says that this type of love and and that type of faithfulness is what will mark the life of someone who has been transformed by the teachings of wisdom. 
But not only that, in verse 4, he says that not only will it transform your life and make you someone who is faithful and who loves uh, with an unconditional faithful kind of love, but the result of that is not only is God pleased with that kind of character, but you actually become the kind of person that other people are pleased with as well. Did you catch that in verse 4 where he says, you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Now, we said at the beginning that, that Proverbs lays out wisdom principles, but not necessarily promises. So if you are a faithful person, a faithful friend, what I'm not saying here and what Solomon's not saying is that every single time people are always going to love you they're always going to be your biggest fan, right? But as a general principle, if you are someone who is faithful and loves unconditionally, you will be received favorably, is is essentially what he's saying here. I think of um, the relationship between Frodo and Samwise Gamgee. And uh, there's a scene at the end of the first first movie where... um, Frodo thinks that, he, that he's being wise, and he decides to leave the party, and he's like, you know what, I'm going to go off in this, in this boat, and I'm going to go to Mordor alone, right? And Sam realizes that Frodo has snuck away, and so he starts chasing him down, and there's that you know, iconic scene where uh, Frodo's like, is like, go back, Sam, I'm going to Mordor alone. And Sam is like, of course you are, and I'm going with you, right? And then he starts wading into the water, and he, even though he doesn't know how to swim, this faithful friend tracks down his other friend, and he starts wading out into the water after him because he wants to show a, a steadfast love for his friend, a faithfulness to his friend. And uh, there's that scene where Frodo shows up and pulls him into the boat, and he says, I made a promise, Mr. Frodo. And uh, he says, I made a promise. Don't you leave him, Samwise Gamgee. And I don't mean to. I don't mean to. And there's this, this faithfulness that is exemplified by this friend to his other friend, who's kind of a, an idiot sometimes, to be quite <laughs> frank. And uh, that is the kind of faithfulness that that God has to us, we are often more like Frodo in that we're like, we're going to go off and do our own thing and you know, we think it's all going to be great and the Lord is the one who faithfully comes alongside us and says, no, you can't do this by yourself. You, we, you can't. And so in a similar way, this is one of the characteristics that Solomon says uh, marks someone who has been taught by the teachings of wisdom. They are someone who sees God's faithfulness, particularly for us in the, you know, on the, the post, uh, post-resurrection, post-cross side of history, we look at God's faithfulness as exemplified in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus, uh, as it says in Romans, um, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, and this is how God demonstrates his love toward us. This is how God demonstrates his faithfulness toward us in that even while we were rebels against God's will, Jesus still came from heaven and paid the penalty for our sins so that we could be with him forever. And so Solomon essentially says that 
This type of faithfulness is what should mark our lives as we are being taught by the, uh, by the doctrines that wisdom reveals to us. And as we, as we look at our own lives, we often, uh, as I said, we often recognize that we don't exemplify this kind of faithfulness in our friendships, in our, in our uh, relationships with family. Oftentimes, more, we, we treat people in the same way that they treat us. I can't tell you how many times I had conversations with coworkers back when I worked at Slaveway um, <laughs> who, you know, they were in conflict with another, um, with another you know, uh, coworker. And they would say, uh, I would encourage them, you know, Forgiveness is better than bitterness. Uh, it's better to forgive and, and, uh, and allow uh, the work environment to be, you know, a, a peaceful place. And uh, they would often say, well, I'm, I'm just going to treat them the way that they treat me. And that's kind of the ethic of our world. That's, that's the ethic not only of our world. A lot of times that's our own ethic, our own sinful hearts. We want revenge. We want to treat people the way that they treat us. But when we look at Jesus... And his faithfulness in the, in the face of our rebellion, we learn from the wisdom of his life that that's not what we're called to. We're called to exemplify God's faithful covenant love to those that he places in our lives. And so faithfulness is the first character trait. But then the next one that we see is a, is a, a God-centeredness. A God-centeredness. Let's look at verse 5 real quick. Uh, So we're going to read 5 and 6, and then also 9 and 10 is where we're we're pulling this idea from. But verse 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. And then drop down to verse 9. He says, Honor the Lord with your wealth. With the first fruits of your produce, and then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. And so, for this, this second character trait, Solomon describes someone who has been changed by the application of the teachings of wisdom in such a way that this person becomes radically God centered. Such a person will wholeheartedly trust the Lord. In the same way that you, if you think about the way that you trusted your mom and dad as a little kid, as you get older, you begin to, you know, kind of question whether or not you can trust people. But when you're a little kid, think back and you just, you just trust mom and dad because you believe that they are trustworthy. And that's kind of the idea here. It's, it's wholehearted trust in the Lord. And, but not only that, there's also this, this phrase, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Uh, this, this type of person keeps the Lord in mind always. So in every decision of life, in every situation, location, and relationship, this person is thinking about God and their obligations to him as a child of the living God always keeping God in mind. That's what it means when he says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. That phrase, acknowledge him, you could literally translate it, keep him in mind. 
at all times. But not, uh, not only that, we also see that the, those two things are, are internal in the sense that they're things that we think about and, and, and uh, they come from the heart. We trust in the Lord. But then those heart postures make their way out into external actions. If you look at verse 9 there, he says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your Produce. In other words, this God-centeredness extends uh, to how the person makes financial decisions. Because in this culture, it would have been predominantly, uh, I think, agrarian is the term, and so it would have been, you know, farming and 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 uh, you know, keeping sheep and and livestock and all these kinds of things. And so he's saying that your gut reaction when you receive uh, material blessings is uh, this type of person gives uh, off the top. So right from the the get-go, as soon as you receive something, you give something back to the Lord in response as as a response of worship and thanksgiving and praise. And so we see that in the thought life and in the actions this person is radically God-centered. And this really kind of runs counterintuitive to how we practically live our lives. Uh, Martin Luther, uh, the uh, um, reformer from the, the 1500s, he, he descri- when describing humanity... <coughs> He said that humanity is incurvatus in se. In theology, they have Latin phrases for everything. Um, but incurvatus in se. And what that word means, it's turned inward on himself. It's curved, right? Is is bent. Uh, Joel and I are reading a book called With All Your Heart. And uh, in there, he makes reference to another book that I read a long time ago but that I also borrowed from Micah because I want to reread it. It's called Out of the Silent Planet. And one of the characters, when he's describing humanity and their interaction with other uh, alien races on another planet, he says, uh, he says this. He says, we as humanity, we are a bent race. We are curved inward. And what that really means is that from the, from the very beginning, the moment we come out of the womb and enter into this world, our perspective is not uh, outward facing and upward facing the way that it should be, but instead our thoughts, desires, and will are bent inward on ourselves. And so we focus on our own, uh, you know, our own needs, wants, and desires. We are crooked as, as this uh, verse uh, points us to. Um, and in verse 6, this is, this is actually a really interesting phrase here. In verse 6, he says, uh, and he will make straight your paths. Now, how that second phrase there often gets interpreted is he's going to make everything clear to you, the path that you're supposed to take and all of those different things. But that's actually not what the phrase means. What the phrase actually means is your pathway in life, your typical bent, if you will, 
is to be self-oriented rather than God-oriented. And so what is being promised there is if we trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding and acknowledge him in all of our ways, then God corrects what is bent. God restores what is misshapen and malformed, that is our own, uh, our own hearts. He restores them and straightens them out. You guys have probably heard that phrase before. When someone's acting like uh, a dum-dum, you'll often hear someone say, I'm going to go straighten them out, right? What's the implication? Is that their behaviors are crooked, right? Their behaviors are, are incorrect. They're off in the wrong direction. And so when you straighten someone out, you're pointing them in the right direction. And that's what's being talked about here is that someone who has learned from the teachings of wisdom Someone who uh, is being transformed by uh, the word of God and learning what the will of God for them is as taught in the word of God, that type of a person becomes someone who is no longer curved inward on self, but rather is now outward facing, focusing on the, the neighbor, right? Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Focusing outward on neighbor and focusing upward on God. God primary and neighbor secondary. And so Solomon says that this is another character trait of someone who is really being transformed by the (coughs) teachings of wisdom. And the, the sad truth is that more often than not, we are... Uh, we exemplify that we are still turned inward. Every day we give evidence to the fact that we focus on self uh, in little interactions with mom or dad or siblings, little interactions with friends where instead of placing ourselves in the other person's shoes and asking what would be best for them in this moment, instead we turn our focus well, our focus is already inward. But instead of you know, stepping into someone else's shoes, we just maintain our inward focus on our own needs, wants, and desires. And the gospel sets us free from this self-centeredness and restores us to a God-centered life. And it's really only by looking at the radical God-centeredness of the Lord Jesus Christ in the fact that he was so focused on the will of his Father that he was willing to be obedient even to the point of death. That is how uh, others-oriented Jesus is. And as we look to his example and we recognize that ultimately in that, that other-oriented love, we are the recipient of that love. Jesus was focused upward and outward. And because of that, we receive the blessings of being able to come into a relationship with God because Jesus has made a way. And not only that, but when we come to Christ and we meditate on what he has done for us, he takes our crooked hearts and he makes, makes them straight.
So, faithfulness, God-centeredness. And the last one, the, the last character trait that, that uh, is exemplified in the, the life of someone who's being transformed by the teachings of wisdom is humbleness. Look at verse 7 for just a minute there. We'll do 7 and 8. But he says this. He says, Be not wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. And so the last thing that Solomon points out here is that someone who is being transformed by the teachings of wisdom is they are marked by humility. Did you catch that in verse 7? He says, be not wise in your own eyes. In other words, they don't have this exalted view of themselves, their own uh, intellectual abilities or physical abilities. But rather, this person, instead of having an exalted view of self, has an exalted view of God. Did you catch that in the second half of verse 7 there where he says, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So rather than having an, an overblown perspective on yourself and your own greatness, if you will, this type of a person has an exalted view of God. God is God to this person. God is in charge. In other words, God is the one who is great. It's really interesting, actually. So in relation to this second, this second uh, verse that we just read in verse 8, where it says, uh, kind of talks about the physical benefits of being a humble person. So they actually did a study recently, and it was on people who, uh, it was at Duke University, it was on people who um, are constantly interrupting other people and kind of inserting their own stories and their own opinions. They said that that type of a person is actually seven times more likely to get heart disease. Seven times more likely to get heart disease, right? And, and, so, but there's, and so there's this direct connection between instead of inserting your own opinions, um, that actually raises blood pressure, right? Because you're always like looking to get a word in edgewise. And so they, they studied those type of piece, people versus the kind of people who actually sit and listen to other individuals and what they found is that the person who actually listens rather than always trying to interject their, uh, their opinions, that person is actually physically more healthy than the person who is always trying to interject their opinions. And so we see science there, uh, science, I hate using that term, but whatever, uh, confirms, uh, <laughs> confirms what the Bible teaches on this particular topic. And the reality is, is the main reason that we tend to interrupt people, uh, you know, at times is because we think that our opinions are more important. We think that what we have to contribute to the conversation is really going to bless that other person. And I'm really going to increase their knowledge by the, the wise words that are coming out of my, out of my mouth. This is actually really convicting for me because a lot of times, I'm, I, especially when it comes to like biblical conversations, I want to jump in and I just want to word vomit all over them and be like, I studied all these things in these books. And sometimes 
maybe most of the time, in those kinds of conversations, it's better to sit and listen and hear what God is teaching people. Okay? And so that, that type of a person who's always interjecting is wise in their own eyes. But the type of person who is wise according to God's standard is someone who is marked by humbleness, someone who is willing to listen first and speak less, someone who has an exalted view of God and a right view of self. And so as we think about this, this verse here, my question for you is as you, uh, as you survey your conversations and the, the different uh, interactions that you have with family, this is really hard with family, by the way, really hard with family. But as you think about these interactions that you have, are you the kind of person who has an exalted view of yourself in those interactions? Are you always trying to cut people off so that you can insert your opinion and why you're right? Or are you the kind of person who's willing to sit and listen to what the other person is saying, take it in, and then respond? Humbleness is something that should mark our lives. And really the the key to being humble uh, is the same key to every manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit uh, in our lives, it always comes back to the gospel. It always comes back to looking to Jesus and the fact that the cross reveals the depth of our own foolishness, weakness, sin, and failure. So why would we have an exalted view of ourselves when we are uh, in and of ourselves so wicked, so deceived that the Son of God had to come and die on a cross to bear the penalty for our sins. See, the cross, it, it undercuts any sort of exalted view of self and at the very same time exalts the humility of the Lord Jesus because he was willing to be humiliated in that way. He was willing to be uh, torn apart, as it were. He was willing to be nailed to the cross and hang there naked, bearing our shame and bearing the condemnation for our sins so that we could be rescued from our self-centered perspective, our exalted view of ourselves. And in the process, gain an exalted view of the Lord Jesus. And so Martin Luther, as we, uh, taking it back to where we, we started at, he thought that we as individuals should make assessments about people based upon their character. That is who they are inside, not who they are outside. And as we've been talking throughout this whole thing, the, the truth is that inside we are naturally turned inward. We are naturally self-focused. But the promise of the gospel is that if we come to the wise one, if we come to the Lord Jesus, 
he will rescue us from this inward-facing perspective, and he will make us straight once again. He transforms us. But this process really begins um, in the heart. It really begins internally. We ask the Lord, as followers of Jesus, to change our hearts, to give us a different perspective, to change our character. And as we continually come back to Christ, asking him to be the one who daily rescues us, we become the kind of people who remember the commands of wisdom and our character becomes transformed. Let's pray.